From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Today, I'm very excited to have one of the foremost media analysts in the world as our guest on Market Edge today. Josh Burnoff will be talking to us about the future of social media and media of all types. As Vice President and Principal Analyst of Forrester Research, Josh has a long and storied career. Back in 1996, he created the Technographic Segmentation, a classification of consumers according to how they approach technology. Forrester has used this segmentation as the basis of its consumer research offerings since 1997. Josh is best known for his analysis of television. In an interview for 60 Minutes, Mike Wallace identified Josh as the, quote, top TV industry analyst at Forrester Research, the authority on where TV is going, unquote. He led Forrester's analysis of technology change created by devices like digital video recorders, HDTV, and online video. In 2007, Josh with colleague Charlene Lee began work on a book, Groundswell, which describes how people with social technologies like blogs, wikis, MySpace, and YouTube will threaten institutions of all kinds, and how companies can succeed in the face of this change. Groundswell will be published in spring of 2008. Welcome to Market Edge, Josh. Hi, it's great to be part of this. Um, Josh, we might as well start right out. You know, tell us about Groundswell. Why, why did you write it? What, what were you thinking? And tell us what we can expect so that uh, our audience runs out and pre-orders it on Amazon. Well, I, for years now, Charlene Lee and I have been looking into the effects of the social world. Uh, we're talking here about a very broad phenomenon that includes everything from Facebook to blogs to ratings and reviews on websites, basically the whole set of connections that people have with, with their own customers and, and with each other online. And what we saw was that our corporate clients uh, and people throughout the world were looking for some way to boil this down into something they can actually take advantage of. Uh, that turned into a book-length project, and Groundswell is basically a manual for understanding these new social phenomena and a description of how you can use them for marketing, for support, for product development, and for all the things that corporations need to do. You know, in a lot of ways, and you know I've written about the subject, and there's a couple other books on social media. In a lot of ways, this is sort of first-generation social media. What can we expect in the next you know, five, ten years as the maturation of really a whole new seat at the marketing table takes place? Well, I think you're going to see that this, these forms of social technology will become an inherent part of all of the interactions people have, certainly all the interactions that people have online. So right now people go to 
sites like Facebook, they go to blogs, they read it. It's a disconnected experience, but one that's very powerful because of the connections between people. But I think if you go to a website five years from now, you're going to expect that your connections come along with you and that you can take advantage of them, that other people who've bought there that are friends of yours um, are able to tell you about what's going on there, and that in general this idea of, of social will become woven into the fabric of everything that we do and all of our transactions. Couldn't agree with you more. The, uh, of course, the big question, and just to name drop, I was talking with Chris DeWolf the other day from MySpace, and you know nobody seems to give the exact right answer because maybe there isn't one, but how do you monetize it from a marketing perspective around this phenomenon of social networks? Well, uh, certainly if you're MySpace, they're having challenges figuring out exactly what to do there, whether it comes to advertising or other connections. But if you put aside these huge companies and just look at your average corporation out there, whether we're talking about a small business with three people in it or a big company that sells to thousands, you're, you can connect into this network in a number of ways. Uh, you, if you want to do marketing, you can do that uh, through blogs, through allowing your own customers to pick up your brand on social networks. Uh, you can uh, do support here, allowing people to support each other. You can loop them in to help you with product development. And the key that we found for corporations is to focus not on the specific technologies. Don't come to me and say, I want to do a blog. Come to me and say, what do you want to accomplish? Do I want to get my best customers charged up? Or do I want to uh, uh, get my messages spread more widely? Or do I want to save support money? Or do I want to get new ideas for innovation? These things are all possible. And once you've decided on your objectives, then you can move on to actually figuring out which technologies are best. You know, the, 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 the blogosphere continues to just surprise as it continues to grow. I think the last figures I saw that uh, there's now no newspaper in the United States with more than 2 million paid circulation, but there's 50 blogs with over 2 million participants. Where does the whole blog sphere go in all this as it starts to sort of self-edit and we see the, the better blogs coming to the top? Um, and and where, do the, where do the newspapers end up in this case? Well, I think that you've got a continuum now. Uh, the difference between a major blog site like Huffington Post or TechCrunch and a trade magazine or a newspaper is pretty hard to tell. You basically got people talking about what's happening in the news. Uh, as you go down uh, to the other end of the spectrum, you might write your own journal and there might be three people that are friends of yours that are interested in it and that's the end of that. And all the uh, elements in between are possible. What makes the blogosphere so dynamic is the way these all connect to one another and comment on one another. So I guess what I'd say is that the traditional media increasingly are going to start building blogs in. You already see this. Lots of reporters have blogs associated with their newspapers. Lots of newspapers allow commenting on stories just the same way that blogs do. Uh, and I think you'll also see the blogosphere functioning as a mechanism that surfaces certainly opinion, but also uh, news stories. You just have to 
be a little bit more skeptical about the source when you know that uh, it may be coming from somebody you've never heard of before. You know, not just the blog sphere, but in you know these social networks and other social media, one trend that is um, obviously happening is sort of a, a, a massive micro-segmentation. You know, we're starting to see sites that are highly focused, like you know, bass fishing in northern Idaho or quilting in America. You know, it's almost like cable television all over. As someone that's studied the evolution of the of the of the, of the television and its content, how is the the new digital world of content being shaped in your opinion? Well, as we look at these things, you're once again brought back to the idea of the long tail, that it's possible for um, for communication to happen that has a very small audience uh, if you can reach that audience. And you know whether we're talking about bass fishing or quilting or people who are just fans of Lindsay Lohan, there's a site out there for you or a blog out there for you. I look at YouTube as sort of the opposite end of the television spectrum. It's television for an audience of three or six or a hundred. But you begin to see some things starting to bubble up there. It becomes like the minor leagues for television where uh, you, you end up with stuff that gets, uh, that gets 20 million views. And then you begin to wonder, you know, what's the difference between that and an ordinary television program? Right. I can tell you that from the other end, the television industry is micro-segmenting itself. Uh, these um, uh, channels are getting displaced to a certain extent by video-on-demand channels that address uh, smaller and smaller audiences. Uh, and in general, I think this continuum from a show that has an audience of 50 million down to a show that has an audience of three, anywhere along that continuum you'll have people creating content and finding ways to make money from it. Yeah, with customized advertising to boot, I would assume. Well, that's one of the ways to make money from it. The other way is to aggregate uh, a lot of these teeny tiny micro channels together. I mean, right. YouTube is basically a place where uh, advertising revenues can get laid on top of that and you know it doesn't matter how many people are watching that individual piece of video because they're advertising against the whole collection. Right. You know, it's a, uh, just an interesting side behavior. I noticed I took my family on a trip the other week, and the girls who are older teenagers were very happy just taking pictures and putting them on Facebook and sharing them. But the younger son, who's 12, you know, was videoing all the time, laughing and sending videos to friends. They watch ones on YouTube, and then they, you know, move over to Google Video. There seems to be a, a generation coming up that isn't really about still uh, uh, pictures, but far more around rich media. The impact on the web, Josh? Well, you're in a situation where uh, the cost of transmission and storage of these media is rapidly dropping to near zero. And the means of production, whether you're talking about a video from a cell phone or editing things on a PC, uh, it's just in in the realm of possibility for anyone to create video, to create uh, audio like this radio program, um, to to write anything you want and put it up anywhere, and then to seek out the people who might be interested in it. So, I think in the future, anyone who's got the inclination to create will be a creator. Now, one of the things we have in the book is we've actually classified 
everybody in North America according to their level of activity in these social applications. And you see that only about 18% of the population are actually involved in these sort of creation activities. But because there are so many ways to participate, you got 25% who are reacting to content created by others. You have almost half of the people who are uh, at least viewing some of this content. You have about a quarter of them uh, uh, interacting on social networks. And it's the whole ecosystem of the different forms of creation that makes this whole thing such a dynamic kind of phenomenon. Well, the impact, too, just so amazing. I mean, even though it is a political season, I mean, this sort of new marketing that people are trying to call it of Barack Obama's with, you know, the videos being created by, I guess it was Will I.M. Of, uh, of the Black Eyed Peas, I mean, this is just opening up a whole new way to connect to people and try to win their vote or get them to buy something. Do you agree? Uh, yes, absolutely. It's just limited by your creativity. I mean, on the Barack Obama front, I got an email yesterday because I had signed up uh, with his network just as an experiment. And uh, basically, uh, he's got this, his own social network. It's called my.barackobama.com. And, of course, he's trying to get votes out in uh, uh, Ohio and Texas as we speak. And he sent an email to everybody on that network and said, hey, help me out. You know, uh, click in here, register. We'll give you a little bit of training, and then we'll give you 20 people that you can call in Ohio or Texas. Or you can call students or Spanish-speaking people if that's what you want. So he's now turned the social network of Barack Obama supporters into an engine that reaches out and connects with people all across uh, the places where he wants to reach them. And that kind of power is what's available to any sort of marketer who recognizes that they've got fans out there and they can energize them. And, and understand that... Oh, take a, no, I'm still here. That's right. Yeah, okay. Uh, understanding the uses, like you say, of you know, from advocacy to to you know, really creating subgroups that are powerful and getting things done. I mean, government's just one of the many uh, applications. I think. I think, you know, marketers like Johnson and Johnson, um, with uh, you know their baby site, um, have also shown that they can really attract an audience through content. Um, in Groundswell, are there any other corporate kinds of uh, examples that uh, that you and Charlene were very impressed with? Well, we've actually put together uh, as many examples as I've ever seen in one of these books, and they all have ROI in them. There's uh, 25 full case studies in there. We uh, looked at a French bank that sourced new ideas on how it could improve from its own customers. Uh, we looked at a Canadian grocery store that had uh, used ratings and reviews to uh, to revolutionize the way that it does business. We looked at how Best Buy turn, created a social network out of its own uh, blue shirts, the uh, the retail um, clerks that they have to try and uh, learn more about what's going on in its own business and improve that efficiency. Uh, we looked at uh, a blender company that has uh, has a, a video that's now become a hit on YouTube and has increased its sales 20% through that. Procter & Gamble is using social networks with young girls to uh, market feminine care products. It's really uh, the variety of different possible things you can accomplish is spectacular, 
But again, we say you got to know, first of all, who are the people you're trying to reach? And second, what are the objectives you're going after? And only then can you take advantage of these techniques to actually be successful with a business goal. We're going to take a short commercial break right now, but stand by, and we'll be right back with Josh Burnoff of Forrester Research and more of a conversation on the future of social media and media of all kinds. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting in a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? You were right. This place is so much better. LookSmart, premium and performance advertising solutions. Uh, hello. Uh, welcome to our website. Website traffic isn't about paying for clicks. Okay, so I guess we're going to wait until everyone shows up and then we'll... Uh, um... It's about having the right content. So while you're searching for more traffic, the folks at InfoSearch Media are creating the content people are searching for. With InfoSearch Media, you can get more traffic for less money than PPC. So the next time you need to speak to your customers... Welcome to our website. They're already searching for you. InfoSearch Media. Get content that really clicks. Okay, so you're telling me that if I put the Go Currency Converter on my site, all my international customers can see how much they're paying in their own currency? Yeah. GoCurrency.com has free currency converters, language translations, international clocks, everything you need to do international business. So how does it work? Conversion elves. Conversion elves? Yeah, watch. Want to know what this will cost in euros? Check this out. Listen up, elves. We got one. $34 US. I need that in euros. Now, people. <laughs> We got it. Put it up there, elves. Wow. Currency elves. Who knew? GoCurrency.com. Free currency converters, language translations, and more. GoCurrency.com. The whoring of Facebook for promotional purposes continues with the WebmasterRadio.fm Facebook fan page. Join our fans by clicking the Facebook logo on the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage and keep up to date with all the latest. Become a fan on Facebook. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Josh Burnoff, Vice President and Principal Analyst of Forrester Research and co-author with his colleague Charlene Lee of the upcoming book, Groundswell. Uh, which describes how people with social technologies like blogs, wikis, MySpace, and YouTube will threaten institutions of all kinds. Uh, what kinds of institutions are threatened, Josh? I mean, is it 
the the companies that uh, that aren't going to let uh, these conversations happen, um, you know, on their watch, uh, and don't listen to the conversations that are happening. Well, you know, uh, I'm going to be uh, probably more honest than I ought to be here. Anyone who's written a business book knows you've got to get people's attention, but it's really pretty easy to do you know, when you have a phenomenon that's this far-reaching. The first chapter of Groundswell is specifically about uh, companies that have seen this phenomenon get out of control on them. It's about the guy who put up the uh, video of a uh, uh, Comcast technician sleeping on his couch and then used that to make fun of the way Comcast does service. It's about Dunkin' Donuts in Korea that found that a blogger uh, had uh, accused them of uh, using unsanitary conditions in the creation of their product, uh, a story that got eventually covered in the mainstream media there. Really, no matter who you are and what kind of company you are, you are no longer in control of your messages if you ever were. You're in a situation where your own customers and critics can take advantage of these media to uh, basically say whatever they want about your company. What we talk about in the rest of the book is the sort of jujitsu of turning that power of your attacker to your advantage. If you understand this phenomenon and you understand how it works and you understand that you're not in control of it, you can still take advantage of uh, the, the power of social technologies for research, for marketing, for sales, for support, for innovation, for internal efficiency with your own employees. It's all a question of getting a feel for how it works and putting the discipline in place to measure that you're actually successful with these applications you roll out. You know, Josh, we're living in a world right now that is sort of uh, oxymoronic when it comes to marketers. And, of course, that's a lot of our audience are marketers and CMOs and uh, even CEOs. And we're living in a world where, at least by last, I think, statistics I saw of ad age, that more television advertising will be bought this year than any other year previous, about $165 billion worth. Now, we know there's elements of control and controlling the message. But that aside, I mean, we love your comment on that alone, but also when is money really going to start shifting in a significant way to understanding the social media and marketing platforms because of the impact it's having and will have? Well, uh, when you look at television in particular, the main purpose of television advertising, the vast majority of it is about awareness. It's about brand. It's about repeating messages over and over again so you understand that uh, Toyota has a new model coming out or Coca-Cola will make you feel good or uh, that you're, you'll finally be happy and successful if you can just clean your kitchen floors with that Swiffer. Uh, <laughs> but but the, uh, the challenge is that people are increasingly tuning these messages out. Now, I'm not going to tell you that television advertising or any of these advertising forms are going to end up decreasing. But in much the same way that direct mail came up and created a whole new way to do marketing, now we're in an environment where these new social technologies can create a new way to do marketing. And if you look at the marketing funnel where you go from awareness to consideration uh, to, to eventually purchase and loyalty, once you get past the awareness, 
advertising is really pretty much ineffective. When someone's in the midst of trying to decide what product to buy or what decision to make, they're not going back to advertising. They're talking to their friends. They're looking at websites and seeing what reviews are out there. And so if you want to do anything other than just shout at that at people to create that awareness, if you actually want to have a conversation in the middle of the funnel, if you want to tap into the word of mouth of the people who are uh, positive about your product, you're going to have to connect up with these new social applications in order to be successful. Just uh, for the sake of time, I, I do want to go on a bit of a different topic, but uh, just your comments on Google and, and the future of search, and especially from your perspective of when we start searching on television or you know, searching with our mobile phones, does Google stay as dominant as it is today? Well, I think Google has been remarkably clever at creating an interface that was really the best possible interface for doing search. Uh, this is a company built on an algorithm, and a hell of an algorithm it is too. And by working uh, advertising elements into that algorithm, they've managed to extend that. But I'm not ready to tell you that, that's, uh, that that has to stay that way. First of all, the kind of searches that people want to do in the future for television programs, for example, um, search for video on the Internet stinks. It's terrible. You cannot find what you're looking for. And whoever solves that problem has the opportunity to uh, basically create a name for themselves, whether it's Microsoft or Yahoo or some startup, uh, to create an environment that has just as much relevance as Google's search does. Um, also, the, the connections that people make with each other don't right now connect very much with what's going on in search. And uh, I think the fact that Facebook is an independent company and that the social applications that were put together by Google, Google have generally been unsuccessful out, uh, outside of a few places like Brazil and India tells you that there's still plenty of opportunity here for other companies to develop uh, powerful positions in the market. I would think, you know, and I don't know if you cover this in Groundswell, but I would think something, and what, for lack of a better name, I'll call social search. You know, why can't I go someplace and say, gee, I'm thinking of going to a Greek island. Anybody gone to this island? What are the hotels you liked or didn't like? Where did you eat? That kind of thing. Wouldn't that be just a natural to have at some place like uh, Facebook or MySpace? Yeah, that's absolutely natural, and the idea of social search is being pursued by a number of companies. You know, Google succeeded by upsetting the status quo around search before that. Uh, we all used to search on things like Alta Vista. Right. But now Google is the status quo, and there are plenty of folks out there um, within social companies within startups that are trying to figure out what the next thing will be to help you find not just what you're looking for, but what your friends would recommend for you. Hey, you know, back to uh, uh, television, what's your view? You know, I hear everything from all different experts on the, the web and the TV becoming one and, you know, um, you know, television, you know, moving to, you know, the long tail model with, you know, thousands and thousands of channels. As a television expert, where is that going to fit in our lives in the next five and ten years? 
Well, you have to look at not only consumers' behavior, but also the business of television. And it's extremely efficient if you want to reach large numbers of people to do that through uh, broadcast television. So I think this is going to continue to be a reasonably good time for networks that have popular programs. But it's that second tier. It is the 150 cable channels that are really threatened here because there's absolutely no reason you need to watch what's on Discovery right now if you can get it on demand or on the Internet. And the same applies to just about every one of those uh, increasingly tiny niche channels that are being put out there. So you're looking at a situation where the, uh, the future of television is a few sort of tentpole kind of, of uh, big popular things together with a whole lot of uh, much smaller audience kinds of programs that you can get access to on the Internet, on your TV set on the Internet, on, uh, on video on demand off your cable operator, and uh, for that matter, probably on your mobile phone anytime you want to look at them. Hey, Josh, you know, people talk about, you know, when they refer to social media, we're, I'm sort of getting tired of just hearing about, you know, the, the, the big three, MySpace, Facebook, and YouTube. Are there some new ones you can share with uh, our audience that you have found intriguing or thoughtful or funny or that, that are in groundswell that uh, maybe our audience hasn't come across yet, whether they be in the business world or in the consumer world? Yeah, I think it's a big mistake to think about the big guys as being the, the soul of this phenomenon. Uh, there are plenty of social networks that are designed for niches. Uh, we've talked to Pixo, which is a social network for mostly for young girls. If you happen to be over 50 years old, you can get into Eons, which is a social network for old people, or as I like to think of it since I'm almost 50, uh, middle-aged people. Um, <laughs> and 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 the other thing to recognize is that a lot of these networks are being created by uh, companies or by people who have affinity for each other. Uh, we looked at uh, LugNet. This is a social network for people who are adults and like to play with Lego. And, man, if you're enthusiastic about Lego, this is the place to be. <laughs> um, I mentioned Procter & Gamble has a social network for young girls. It's called beinggirl.com mostly about the problems of being an adolescent with a little subtle messages about, you know, hey, as long as you're here, you might want to know about some feminine care products. Um, the, uh, you know, we, we looked at a social network for crafters. It's called Fisketeers.com. was created by the Fiskers company that makes uh, scissors and other crafting supplies. and very popular with, with the people who are into that sort of hobby. So no matter what it is that you're interested in, there's going to be a network there for you, and it isn't necessarily going to be Facebook or MySpace. Uh, well, how about, the, you know, I've been uh, sort of inundated lately with uh, some of what they call the sort of first generation of, so of social networks on mobile phones, this uh, Moco Space from uh, the East Coast, and there's one called Blue Pulse from the West Coast. Uh, what's your take on some of the, the mobile-only uh, kind of social media? Well, I haven't yet seen the sort of uh, secret sauce that would make a mobile social network be uh, be better than what's what's happening out there. The the fact is, you know, you're not always on your mobile, and you're much more likely to see mobile types of applications being connected up to Facebook or MySpace as you are to see them uh, taking off on their own. Um, if you think broadly about it, one of the most exciting things that's happening 
on mobile is this uh, application called Twitter that allows people to connect up with each other with little comments that are 140 characters long. And you end up getting a sort of running commentary on whatever people are doing. And if you happen to be uh, uh, at an event, this is one way that people are communicating with each other. It's all part of the same phenomenon of uh, people connecting to and drawing strength from each other. And basically, that's what threatens corporations, is that the, those connections and uh, the power that people get from connecting with each other, whether it's in mobile or any other way. Well, corporations, one good thing uh, that they have to learn is that we're in an era of transparency. And you're going to have to join the conversation or be left out of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, one of the main things we talk to uh, people about is that they have to be honest here. Um, there is no fooling people in this environment because somebody will find you out, and then the backlash is much worse than if you had just shut up and said nothing at all. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, our time is just about up, Josh. I want to uh, thank Josh Burnoff, who is the Vice President and Principal Analyst of Forrester Research, and uh, he continues that as his day job, but now he's joined the ranks of great business writers, and uh, his book, uh, co-written with his colleague Charlene Lee, called Groundswell, will be appearing uh, very shortly um, at a website near you, or even, guess what, an old-fashioned bookstore. So, Josh, we want to thank you so much for spending time with Market Edge today. Uh, thanks. It's been great. Anyone who's interested in more about Groundswell, just go to our microsite at groundswell.forester.com. That's Forester with two R's in the middle. And uh, we've got uh, free data available there for people who want to know about their own customers. See, basically join a community of people who are interested in this. Thanks again, Josh. Everybody, okay. go find it. And thanks, everyone in the audience, for listening today to Market Edge. Tune in again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time in the U.S. at webmasterradio.fm. Thanks again.